Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's time to get green. Doug Oster and Jessica Walliser are here. All natural, no pesticides, no artificial ingredients. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. All right, here they are, ladies and gentlemen, Doug and Jessica, the Organic Gardeners from Tribune Review, of course, and EverybodyGardens.com, and the Savvy Gardener, of course, Jess. What you need to do is to give us a call at 866-391-1020 and reserve your space on the phone line. And I know Punxsutawney Phil said spring is coming, but listen, at least for today, you know it's going to be warm. So you want to be thinking about gardening at least on a warm day like today. So 866-391-1020, dollar bank, instant access, kdkradio.com. You can text us on the right automotive line, best deal in town. And if you're on the right side of our 10th caller at 412-922-1020, you're going to take home an incredible $25 gift certificate from Sorgles right now. And here they are right now, ladies and gentlemen, Doug Oster and Jessica Walliser. Good morning. I am Doug Oster from the Tribune Review and Everybody Gardens. And I'm horticulturist Jessica Walliser. Minus six and everything survived. Well, we hope. In my garden. I I'm mean, not, I'm, okay. not feel, I'm not feeling real good today. <laughs> <laughs> no. Minus six and just about everything survived. <laughs> and now it's going to be 50 and then we get cold temperatures again. That's when you well, get the I just, problems, I didn't the think, back and forth. I didn't think my greens would survive minus six. Oh, when you say everything survives. Yeah. So you're talking about in your cold frames. Yeah, in the yeah. cold frames and, you know, under floating row covers, everything survived. That's I can't wonderful. believe it. Wow. I can't believe it. Well, you know, the ground was still insulated and then we had that little layer of snow on top of the know, cold awful, frames awful and cold but i was so yeah. happy to see everything survive because i harvested right before that cold came mm-hmm. uh and oh greens out of the garden made an omelet out of it mm. nice it was awesome nice. even the kale was good once i cooked it down put some salt on it and I thought you didn't grow kale because you didn't like kale. I don't like it, but I grow it because it survives. <laughs> and it's so easy to grow, even in the winter. I'm telling you, even even before the cold weather came, I, I was harvesting it, and it was frozen. I mean, mm. the leaves were frozen. And then, you know, you bring them inside, they kind of reconstitute themselves. So mm-hmm. that was good. Yeah, so with the thaw, definitely people are going to be thinking spring. They are, and I think one of the best tasks for this time of year that really gets your juices flowing on getting ready for the gardening season is to go through those seed catalogs. But... There is a little thing that you should do before you go through the seed catalogs, and that is go through the seeds that you already have. Because if you're anything like Doug or I, <laughs> you hold on to every last little seed packet every that you have. Uh huh. And you need to go through and number one, make sure that you're only holding on to varieties that you're actually going to grow, and number two, that you need to test the viability of the seeds that you have because you don't want to. Uh, let's say you're you're wanting to buy a, a new, let's use kale, right? A new type of kale. But if you already have a packet of kale seeds, how do you know if those seeds are still good? Because some seeds last a long time and others last only a few years. So tell them about that little cool little test you do. Yeah, just uh, get a paper towel, get it moist. I like to count the seeds out if they're not too small, you know, put uh, 20 in there and then put that into a resealable plastic bag. Usually put it on top of the fridge. So you actually put the seeds inside of like a folded wet paper towel. Then in the Ziploc bag. Okay. And then wait. Okay. So you put it somewhere warm. On top of the fridge is usually a good spot. Okay. Whether that's warm or not anymore, I don't know with the new 
new refrigerator. Efficiency, the high <laughs> yeah. efficiency. Uh, and then a week later or so, I just look at it, see how many sprouted. If, for me, if it's over 50%, it's good to go. If it's under 50%, they're in the compost. Mm-hmm. So do you test all your seeds, even big ones like the zucchini and cucumbers that way? Or do you tend you know, to just... Actually, the only thing I really test is if I start going through them and I see something really old mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, and it's, in my case, that's mostly tomatoes. Okay. You know, I've got tomatoes seeds going back to the 90s. Mm. And, you know, they're stored, I 90s? think... 90s? 1990s, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? That's pretty awesome. Eh, you know, How you do you start... keep them alive, though? Seriously, I mean, what do you have to do to you know, keep them they around? They just keep them cool and dry. And and they'll be usually tomatoes are good to go, mm-hmm. wow. but you never know if they got wet or something, or if they got too cold or something could happen. It's a living organism, so those old tomato seeds. If I decide, you know, well, I haven't grown this one in a long time. Maybe I'll add this one. Mm-hmm. Usually means uh, growing it in, in, with the flats and realizing. Uh, when it's planting time, I'm just going to give them away. <laughs> well, yeah. So I'll test them, see if the you know, because I don't want to waste my time. Right, right. Uh, and I, I always test my lettuce and onions because those I direct seed. Uh, well, the lettuce at least I direct seed down into the garden, and if they don't germinate, then I pretty much lost two weeks worth of lettuce time because then I have to go back out and plant more. And so, onions are one of those things that they say is supposed to be fresh seed. Right? Yeah, the onions usually the only. I mean. Even under proper storage conditions, you might only get one or two years life out of an onion seed. So those are the ones that I like to really test before I plant because, you know, you get so off track with those. Your your planting schedule is so delayed. So those I, I definitely do. I have done cucumbers before. I've never bothered with like squash or pumpkins because they're such big seeds. And if they don't germinate, it's so easy to replant another one. Um, but the cucumber seeds I tend to, because I can only have a few plants Maybe like six or eight plants. Cover the entire. Yeah. Yeah. And the packs, each seed packet has like 15 or 20 seeds. And then I'd like to grow a couple different varieties. So I have a ton of cucumber seeds usually left over. The seeds I begged to get from you, Silver Slicer, I've never planted. I have. I looked at them the other day. Yeah. I really wanted to grow. You know how it is. Yeah. You yeah. know, you, I hear you talk about Silver Slicer and I'm like, oh man, that sounds so great. And for some reason, this will be the year. I, I pulled them out. Pulled there them you out, go. Put, them put a little, little right. special notice on there <laughs> uh, it'll, it'll be fun to get things started but uh, again you know what could you start this early in my operation i don't start anything for another six weeks mm-hmm. just because i don't have the, the right place for it you know I'm, I'm starting everything either indoors and then going once it sprouts right out into an unheated greenhouse which will still be cold mm-hmm. uh, or direct sowing mm-hmm. so yeah, I've I'm got a couple, to time it right. I'm a couple weeks away from my cold season crops. Like I'll do my cabbage and broccoli, a couple of kale plants, maybe some Swiss chard. But I, it's still a couple of weeks away. Usually like the third week in February, I do those early crops. Um, what you could start now if you really wanted to do some early things are some perennials. And you can do those under lights inside, or you can actually do what's called winter sowing. And I don't know if anybody's familiar with this. You can you do a little internet search for it. I've written about it for the Trib. It's really cool. It's where you plant them in containers and actually put them outside. And then they go through the natural germination. Well, that's of the, the other thing. I did that with a, a milk jug mm-hmm. you know, and left yep. part of it on. Yep. And those, those arugula seeds sprouted yep. in a cold frame. So it's it's a cold frame inside Mini cold a cold frame. <laughs> And they survived. How could yeah. a little itty bitty yeah, they're tough. seedling, that's the other thing too in the cold frame, <laughs> something got in and ate all the endive, but nothing touched the arugula. Imagine that. Which you th- I thought you'd be su- surprised at that. Imagine that. We had a breakfast last last week after uh, 
after the show and they served Jessica her eggs with arugula on top and I thought it was so fitting. I pushed it over to this. I'm not one to push things off of the side I, of the plate, but I, I pushed the arugula. I said, Jessica, eat your greens. They're good for you. And she just looked at me with the evil eye. That's the only green I will not eat. 866-391-1020. All of our lines are open. We are awaiting your phone calls to talk gardening with Doug and Jess. Next hour, big game menu recipes, Joe and Frank Dentisi. Mr. Meredith, of course, Heffron Tillerson, your money and you. And then it is the... Uh, Super Bowl edition. We're going to be talking all about that game coming up today on the Coons Market Black and Gold Sunday Show. Congratulations to Lynn from Wexford, winner of that $25 gift certificate. She won't have far to go to Wexford because it is uh, the home of Sorgal. Stay with us, folks. Much more to come, including your phone calls just minutes away. KDKA Radio. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. Hey, we're back. We're going to get to the phones in just a couple of moments. Anything else on the way of unfinished business before we uh, go to this uh, telephone call? Martha in Ross. Doug, anything else? No, we're going to talk a little bit uh, when things calm down on the phones after Martha <laughs> about uh, cleaning and getting your tools ready. So, yeah, let's talk to Martha. All right, this would be a good time for you folks to call in and fill these other lines up because they're available right now, so you'll have immediate access. Ashley Funyak, our producer today on duty. She's with us now on the weekends, 866-391-1020. Here's Martha. Hey, Martha, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Doug and Jess. I love your show. Thank you. Um, I received for Christmas uh, a bee box. Very excited about it. I just don't know where to put it, when when to put it out. Is it one that's filled with, uh, like, straw tubes, or is it a wooden block with holes drilled in it? It's wooden, but has the tubes. Wooden, but has the tubes. That's great. Yes. Good. Oh, Good. I'm very excited. Yes. Yeah. So I let had me... no zucchinis last year. I had lots of plants, no zucchinis. So I'm hoping this will make a difference. Yeah. So let me explain to people who are listening that who might not know what this is. I'm going to explain exactly what it is. So most people are familiar with European honeybees, right? They're the ones that live in the big hives and make the honey, right? But they're an introduced species. Well, there's also about 4,000 species of wild or native bees here in North America. And they don't nest in a big hive like a honeybee does. Instead, they will nest in like a little hollow cavity, like an empty plant stem or a little... um, a hole that they chew into a dead log, or they might nest in a little tiny hole in the ground. Um, And I'm not talking about those yellow jackets or anything like that. These guys are mostly solitary nesters. So it's just one female that makes a little brood chamber in one of those little tubes. So when you're talking about a nesting block like that, that has all those little tubes, there's a, a number of different species of bees that take residence in there. It could be a leaf cutter bee. It could be an orchard mason bee um, in a number of others, little sweat bees and things that, that make their brood chambers in those. So that's really cool that you're setting it up. You're, you're building habitat for them. Um, Well, that was Santa. Thank you, Santa. Yeah, well, thank you, Santa, for that. So the idea with those is you want them to be, um, you know, the the position about five to six feet up off of the ground. Okay. Um, And let's see, mine is facing, I have an eastern exposure on mine, so they get morning sun. Mine are facing south. Or south facing is fine, yep, so that gets sun most of the whole day. Or eastern so that it warms up real early in the morning. Um, The nice part about wild bees is that they fly in cooler temperatures, Uh, You know, they are more efficient pollinators and they, you know, don't get grumpy about rain and stuff like that. Like a lot of times honeybees won't fly in the rain, but but the wild bees will. But let me ask you, uh, for Martha, when she puts this bee box, is that enough to make a difference like for German uh, pollination 
of the yeah, vine so crops? Yeah, so that's a very good question. So when she's talking about squash and zucchini, yes, some of those wild bees that nest in that block do pollinate squash and zucchini, but there's actually a, a really cool specialist bee that pollinates only members of that squash family, and it's called the squash bee. And they're actually ground nesters. They nest just all by, it's one female in a little brood chamber, and they nest in the ground a lot of times right around zucchini plants. If you open up a zucchini plant flower, like a flower at the end of the day, and you find a bee sleeping inside of the flower, that's a squash bee. The, mm. the males sleep right down in the flower. Honeybees are really good for those. The wild bees, probably the leafcutter bee might go in there every now and then, but they're, and some of the smaller ones might as well. So one little block, probably not going to make a gigantic difference in your vegetable garden. Um, I would actually recommend going out and hand pollinating your squash, um, which is using a paintbrush or your finger to get the pollen off of the male flowers and move it over to the female flowers well, and get lots of flowers I, in your vegetable I didn't garden. know we're going to learn all about the birds, birds and, bees. and the bees. Yeah. Uh, Martha, I have another question for Jessica, though. Uh, did you keep the bee house that I gave you years and years ago? I do. I have ago? it hanging up. And oh. you know what? The, um, the little uh, orchard mason bees love going in there, in and out of there. So my, my boxes, you tell me if this is good or bad, are, are just four by four cedar blocks with a roof on it. You know, I mm -hmm, just cut mm -hmm. it in such a way. And then I just drilled all sorts of different sized holes in it. And I see them starting to get filled up with like mm -hmm. mud and stuff. Yeah, if it has a mud sealed over the hole, that means somebody's using it. So different bee species will use different size holes. And so she's got one with tubes. And what's good about the tubes, the paper tubes in there, is that they can be replaced every couple of years. And you really should do that. And if you have a bee nesting block that has, it's a block of wood with the holes drilled in it, you really should clean that out um, every couple of years because pathogens can build up in there, mites can build up in there. So really good care and sanitation of them is really important. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to keep this going because I want to ask you some questions about orchard, orchard mason bees. Okay. So I guess 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, I was reading that you would buy those bees. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but then I'm reading some other things that just say, no, just attract the native orchard mason bees. Mm -hmm. What is the conventional wisdom now on something like that? Yeah, so you can buy um, the little cocoons, the pupil cases. So you, the bees start their lives in the brood chamber as a little tiny larval bee, and they feed the pollen in the nectar ball that is left by the mother inside of that brood chamber. And then they form a little cocoon, basically. It's a pupil case, right? So you can buy orchard mason bees in their pupil cases. And, and people buy them because they're great pollinators. They're, right? And orchards will buy them, right? They'll buy a whole bunch of them from uh, an insectary that raises them, and then they put them out in tubes in the orchard, and then they emerge. And they're they are an excellent pollinator of apple trees and pear trees and a lot of different spring blooming fruit, um, and they make a huge difference, especially with the you know colony collapse disorder with honeybees and things. So you can buy them. I typically don't recommend that people do that, though, largely because, you know, you can always risk bringing in pathogens and mites from wherever that area is that those orchard mason bees the, were the raised only, to here. The so. only downside I read, and I don't know how accurate this is, mm -hmm. was that there are like two subspecies mm -hmm. on either side of the Rockies, mm. and, and sometimes they ship you, they don't care about which one they ship you. That's, and again... 
I'm not a bug expert like you. But that's just what I've read, and I just want your opinion on it. Yeah, I haven't heard that about the two different species. I know there are many different species of mason bee. So the blue orchard mason bee is the one that we typically see for sale, but there might be two different subspecies of them. I'm not. I'm not sure about that. But so just set up a orchard mason bee house. Yeah. You want some you and know. stop using pesticides. I mean, right. that's the number th- one thing. You cannot like, for example, with. Uh, Joyce, when she called in about the squash, Martha, excuse me, um, when she called in about her squash, like the other question I should always ask people is, are you spraying anything in your garden? Because if you're using any spray products, any systemic products especially are really bad. Those are the ones you put on the soil and then the plant absorbs them because that goes in the pollen and nectar. And that impacts not just the insects that actually eat the plant, but also the pollinators as well. So just you got to Stop using the pesticides in All the right. garden. Real quick, we got one minute left. Let me just get this uh, right out of my text message out. Uh, best deal in town. Is there a secret way to manage Boston ferns after bringing them in over the winter? <laughs> well, they love humidity, but I, I have to admit that I don't do very well with uh, that style of fern bringing mm-hmm. it inside. It's it's funny. I looked out in the unheated greenhouse. Uh, I've got hay-scented ferns still alive in that have just self-sewed into like hanging baskets. Yeah, they do love humidity, so you got to get a humidity tray or be prepared to miss them an awful lot, or otherwise they dry oh, and I drop miss, their leaves all over. I miss them over. all right. Missed, M-I-S-T. <laughs> miss them. They don't write anymore. <laughs> I don't know what happened. All right, listen, we're going to take a short break. We'll come back. Melinda Roeder has a lot of local news to get to in a couple of minutes, and Doug and Jess are going to get right back to it. So if you want to join them, we have some available lines, 866-391-1020. Chicken wings, what else on that big game menu plans for your house later today or wherever you're going, the Super Bowl 53? We're going to be talking about some of those great recipes on the Coons Cooking Hour, which is just about a half hour away today with Joe and Frank Dentisi on KDK Radio. Rob Pratt Sunday continues in minutes. Melinda Roeder next with the news in two minutes. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. Hey, let's start this half hour off by doing something special for you, by making you the 10th caller, hopefully, at 412-922-1020. And you're going to win a $25 gift certificate to Janoski's. They're getting geared up for their big Valentine's Day buffet at the Country Restaurant. Incredible menu, incredible price on Valentine's Day, Douglas. And we were getting ready to talk about raspberries with Mark, but we lost them. So, Mark, if you're still out there, give us a call, because I Jessica is the raspberry whisperer. <laughs> well, no pressure there. Nice little raspberry. Nice. <laughs> Grow raspberry. All right. 866-391-1020. Dollar Bank, Kinston Access, kdkradio.com. You know, people ask me all the time, how can I get Doug and Jess to come and speak at my event? So how does that happen? Please tell the audience. Uh, like these big gold ingots. <laughs> uh, I, I usually get three of them. How many do you get for your speaking gigs? 27 wow. gold ingots. I should have figured. I'll take a 10-piece McNugget. Well, I'll hang around <laughs> and uh, uh, bob for Krugerrands. No, so, so how did, seriously, come on now. I'm trying to get you some work, not as though you need it. I don't want any more work. Okay, so folks, forget it. Don't ask me again. They're I'll tell coming. you what you do. You want to see me speak? Just come down to the home show March 1st through 10th. I'll be there 24 times. So you'll be able to see wow. me you know, morning, listen. afternoon, and night. And Jessica, maybe we're going to be hearing about this for the next month, but you know as well as I do, you love every minute of that, don't you? Oh, yeah. That's uh, a good time. Yeah, he gets a stage all to oh, himself. That's right. Are you we, kidding? The stage is all ours. He dreams so, about that so all fi- year. 50 years from now, they're going to have like a hologram of you there? Is that what you're like? No, 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 he's still no, going to no, be up there. Be there. <laughs> yeah. He's still going to be there. Anyway, 10th caller wins that <laughs> gift certificate from Janoski's. Let's go to Rudy in the North Hills. How you doing, Rudy? Hey, how, how are you guys doing today? Good. 
uh, this beautiful weather, it gives us a lot of optimism. Oh, yeah. I have a question about figs, because uh, I grow a lot of different kind of figs. But when's the best time, in your opinion, to take uh, fig uh, cuttings from a fig tree to start them? Well, Jess, I don't know when you do them, but I take cuttings early in the spring, when they start to bud out a little bit. And okay. uh, uh, also, uh, just give a shout-out to our friend Steve Biggs. He's the fig expert. How, how do people... See his stuff. He is. So he's got a he, radio show too. He is. Yeah, he's uh, in Toronto, Canada, and he is the author of a book called "Grow Figs Where You Think You Can't." And his name is Stephen Biggs, and he grows I don't know several dozen varieties of figs in his Toronto garden. And I was up there to see him last March, and he actually gave me a couple of cuttings of um, a fig called Desert King, which is very known for its breba crop, which is the the early crop. And he spell, gave spell the, me... Spell the Breva, uh, so people know what it is. Is it B-R-E-B-A? B-R-E-V-A. B-R-E-V-A. Breva he, crop. It's he gave early me, crop. He gave me three cuttings, each about maybe six inches long. And he talked about this variety being good for early uh, fruit production. And don't you know, one of those little cuttings that I just stuck in a pot of soil with a little rooting hormone in the bottom of it, it put on a fig. A little six-inch tall cutting... Had a fig on it last year. Oh, I man. Couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't mm. believe it. Yeah. So they're real one, easy to start from cuttings. I have one more question, if I, if I may. Sure. Uh, I started uh, uh, orange trees. You know, these are a small orange uh, someone gave to my daughter, and I saved the seeds from them. And they're about, I have them in a flower box. They're about a foot tall. I've got about 50 or 60 of them growing in there. Wow. And I was wondering when the best time to transplant those. They're they're you know, they're nice and green and lush and beautiful mm-hmm. right now and uh I move them in and out of uh sunny areas and uh keep them uh, uh well watered. Mm-hmm. But I was wondering when the best time for me to break them out of those and pot them up uh to bring them up to a size uh you know, individually. Yeah, yeah. I would Just do my, that. My my first question oh. to you is what's going to come from those right. seeds. Right. Well, we, let's talk about that. So I would do that in the spring as well. I would wait usually until late March to divide them, which is right before a period of active growth for those plants. The deal with that, though, whenever you start citrus from seed, you never know what you're going to get because there's a lot of cross-pollination that occurs. And a lot of times the, the trees that are growing are, are hybrids or they're propagated through vegetative, you know, through cuttings. So... Whether or not it's going to be the same as the plant that your daughter has is a you know that your guess is as good as mine on on that goes. It could be something worthwhile. It could not. The deal though with a lot of those kinds of citrus trees as well is um, because we don't have a citrus growing climate here. You know they can move them outside for the summer and then move them back indoors for the winter. Right. So it, it can be a lot of yeah. It can be a lot of work to How do. How many that trees too. did you say you had? Uh, 50 or 60 of them at least. That should, at be, least. That should be fun in the spring and fall, moving them in and out. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, though, if it's one of those little, like, calamondin oranges, which just stay shorter and things. Like, that can be a pretty cool thing, but they would don't grow, always you, come true from seed. Do you think they'll all flower? Probably not. I mean, oh, there'll okay. be some duds in the bunch, would, I'm sure. Because okay, that would be the thing, you know. At least you could have some kind of... Oh, the scent, the scent yeah, of the blooms is amazing. inside would be really cool. Yeah. You're going to try to fish today. Fish? No, no, the water's hard. I actually had a friend catching fish yesterday through the ice, and I was telling him, I'm hoping that when the uh, by next Saturday I'll have some open water. And he was like, no, no, I, I want to fish on the through the ice. I, I don't like to go on the ice. 
Yeah, that's, uh, you know what you're doing when you do that. Well, it's not that I don't know what I'm doing. No, no, I know, but... It's that he doesn't know what he's doing. It's just I fell through when I was 13, and uh, that always freaked me out, so I I I like to be on the edge. It should freak more people out, because a lot of times I see people out there, and and it's a... it's got to be a dangerous situation in there yeah, out there anyway. You, just, you know, you just me. don't know what's going on underneath there with, you know, yeah. you know, right now when you got, you know, minus six, and you got that cold weather, you know, you got six inches, eight inches of ice. Maybe. Pro- yeah. It, it scares me. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you run into like an 80 pound carp. I mean, <laughs> which, Ooh, who's really right hungry. Yeah. It could happen. Yeah, guys, pull me out of the hole. <laughs> He's mine. <laughs> All right, listen, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. Lots of folks, I'm sure, want to talk to Doug and Jess because of the warm weather. You're at least thinking about gardening plans for the spring. We'd love to hear from you. 866-391-1020, especially those who are expanding that garden. All right, so give us a call. All of our lines are open. You can reach us. Dollar Bank Instant Access, katiekradio.com, Texas, on the Red Automotive Line, best deal in town. Big game menu ideas coming up next hour. Joan Frank Dentisi on the Coons Cooking Hour. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. Time for Mrs. Know-It-All. She's a grower, horticulturalist, and our own garden goddess named Denise Schreiber. And Denise, isn't it nice to get a break in the weather? Oh, absolutely. However, I'm not going to uncover anything just to see if it survived. I can wait for a few more weeks to make sure it's still with us. Oh, I couldn't wait. No, I can't. <laughs> yeah, because mine are shrubs and trees, and I don't want to take a chance on losing them. But for people who are, have got the urge to start sowing seed, I really wish they wouldn't. You know, um, I know people want to have, especially someone like you, who want to have the first tomato. It doesn't matter when you sow the seed um, to to the point where if you sow a seed for tomatoes now, you're going to end up having this scraggly, tall, lanky thing. And if you put a small seedling in, within two weeks, the seedling will actually catch up to the same size. So when we were in the greenhouse, we never started the bulk of our crops until uh, mid-March. So tomatoes, um, peppers, petunias, all of that, you know, March was when we started them. Because greenhouse growers that are selling want to have the plants in bloom for usually Mother's Day because people want to see the color of the flower or how big the vegetable is. Whereas the homeowner really needs to be able to have that plant healthy when they go to transplant it into the garden. And definitely, you know, not starting too early is a really important key on on having healthy transplants, especially with those warm season crops like the tomatoes and eggs. We've all done it. You know, you first start, right. you start, first start, you know, <laughs> oh so gosh, excited. if I start early, you know, but no, just wait. Yeah. My tomato crop, main crop doesn't go until April 1st. Yeah. I don't start them until then. All right, let's say hi now to Brad in Clarion. Hey, Brad. Good morning, you guys. Brad, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, in, Clar- dad- in Clarion, though, there's probably no thaw, right? It's probably still about six below. <laughs> well, it thawed quite a bit yesterday. It warmed up here pretty good. But uh, there's still snow on the ground. <laughs> but anyway, uh, my dad used to plant trees, uh, fruit trees especially, and uh, he would graft limbs from one to another. Uh, he said if he didn't do that, you wouldn't bear no fruit. But uh, he did that. If he'd plant a tree, a fruit tree especially, he would uh, graft limbs off from one tree to another. Mm-hmm. And, That's cool. Uh, do you still know where does it? Are any of the trees that he grafted still alive? I mean, do you have access to that property or anything? 
Oh, that's uh, been so many years ago. Okay, all right. <laughs> I, I just a little kid, you know, and, yeah. uh, and it could be, I don't know. But uh, apples or peaches or pears and, and those fruit trees like that, he would graft one limb on up mm-hmm. one onto another tree. Yeah, you know, it's really a lost art, grafting in many cases. It was, it was something that... Um, I mean, nurserymen still know how to graft, obviously, people in the profession, but even homeowners and uh, people who had orchards at home used to graft their own fruit trees. So grafting is, and I know Brad knows this and Doug knows it, but for anybody who doesn't, grafting is basically where you take um, one part of a plant in in the same species and attach it to, so let's say you're grafting apples. This is how they get five varieties onto one tree is they take the root stock of of one type of apple and then they graft little actually literally little buds off of the branches of another apple variety onto that apple tree and it's really cool and then they grow as one plant and grafting is really neat now you can't put a pear onto an apple tree or you can't put a peach onto an apple tree but you can put multiple varieties of apples onto the same tree or in the case of peaches you can actually graft um, an apricot or a nectarine onto a peach because they're all in that stone fruit family it's really an amazing thing to be able to do people used to freely experiment with it on their homesteads years ago Um, it's it's a lot less common now but it's something man if you want to kind of up your gardening game to try your own grafting is really a fun process all right brad thanks again congratulations to bob winner in moon township of that gift certificate to janoski's couple of minutes left in the broadcast all yours yeah oh i was going to ask you about the grafted vegetables because now you you can get grafted tomatoes and eggplants and uh watermelon maybe it's just my the way i've been growing them but i i just haven't seen the big results that a lot of people do from using grafted plants and you know what i haven't either but i just read something about it that was really interesting to me and it had to do with how important grafted vegetables are in the south because of the nematode problems Mm. so they can take a nematode resistant tomato and use that root stock, because nematodes live in the soil, use that root stock and then attach a nice juicy flavorful tomato to the top of that root stock. And then it's a, a resistant, right? Then that variety that isn't resistant has the resistance of this variety of the root stock. So I think it's probably and southern uh, southern rot, which is or southern blight, which is a disease we don't have here. So I think in certain regions of the country, uh, it is it. Is, gives you a better chance of success by growing grafted. But however, what I did read was that now they're offering grafted watermelons. And watermelons can be tough to grow up here in the north if the weather conditions aren't just right. But apparently the grafted watermelons are a rootstock that doesn't mind cool soil in the mm. spring. And then they they get a little bit of a jump start on the season. So I might try to get a couple of those grafted watermelon plants and see if that really makes a difference up here Thing in is, Pennsylvania. You know, they're supposed to be really prolific, and but they are more expensive. You know, yeah. it's like seven bucks per plant. Per plant, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's talk real quick about getting tools ready uh, for the season. They need to be sharpened. I use this uh, tool called an AccuSharp. I talk about it all the time. Been using it for thirty years. Just runs over the business end of a shovel, a hoe, or a trowel and sharpens it up. And then there's the wooden handles. Especially in my case, we're using old tools. Uh, you want to keep those. Uh, handles supple just coat them with some boiled linseed oil it, it uh, i do it like three different coatings and it just sucks in that boiled linseed oil and will keep the handles in good shape so they don't crack do you buy it boiled or do you have to boil it 
No, you buy it boiled. You buy it, so you want to buy, what's the difference between boiled linseed oil and regular I, linseed oil? I don't know. I, I've only seen it ever as boiled linseed okay. oil. So. Okay. Okay. And you just rub that on the but handle. I mean, if you want to go boil there. it, you could double boil it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't really want to boil linseed hey, oil. Hey, this soup's really awful. <laughs> Remember, the organic gardeners always aim to create a better place to garden. And a safer place to live. All right, guys, thanks. Enjoy the rest of your day. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.